Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. Well, good evening. It's a pleasure to be with you all again. I hope you're all well. Just a bit of a warning in advance that I've been a little bit crook the last couple of days, so if I sound a bit nasally, if I hock up a loogie or uh, cough and splutter, then please give me some grace. It's just that finding its way out. On that lovely note, as Alistair is finishing bringing things up, let's just pray together for the word tonight. King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, the risen one, we come before you tonight and say, worthy are you, lamb who was slain. Though we are unworthy, we're privileged to be in your presence tonight. And Lord Jesus, as freshly as you spoke to your church in Smyrna all those years ago, we pray that you speak as freshly to us tonight. Lord, I have nothing in myself except that which you give me. And weak and broken as I am, I offer you my all. Come and speak to us, I pray. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's my uh, duty tonight to continue our series in Revelation, looking at the theme of shaken and stirred, And you might remember that we're asking the question each week, what is Jesus saying to us today as a church? Not only that, but what is he saying to you individually, personally, in your faith journey week to week? And if you were here last week, you remember that Dan spoke on the letter to the Ephesians, which was all about coming back to the first love for Jesus coming back to those things we did when we first met him and loved him. Today we turn to what Jesus says to the church of Smyrna, and to be honest and frank and and provide a warning and disclaimer, it's a challenging letter. It's one that addresses the lengths each of us may be called to for the sake of that first love we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a prophetic word that asks us nagging, itchy, uncomfortable questions like, just how much do you really trust me? Would you endure ridicule, teasing, mocking, feeling weird for my name? Would you follow me through persecution and injustice? Are you prepared to suffer, even die for your faith? Now, these are difficult questions to answer, and particularly in the country of Australia, which has usually been favorable to Christians over many years. We haven't seen much persecution, and I don't want to be a prophet of doom tonight or over-exaggerate the state of being in Australia, but I do think it's reasonable to suggest that it's becoming harder to be an openly faithful Christian In this country, if we scratch the surface a little bit and think about all the significant volume of changes that are either passing through or being proposed in our parliaments at the moment, 
If we think about the way our schools, our secular schools are shutting out religion and Jesus, if we think about the way science has become our dominant narrative and our culture has begun to worship the individual instead of God himself, the media is getting more and more loud about things that are contrary to God himself and anti-Christian. And just to give you an example, just in this past week gone, a few days ago, I uh, was warned by a friend of mine that there was a post on the Kubelup Facebook page, uh, which is open to the public, members of Kubelup, and it started out as a post that was really quite innocent. It was just asking a question about an event that was going to be held in a park by something related to a church. Anyway, it very quickly, 93 comments later, became an openly hostile, let's bash the church session. Thankfully, not our church specifically. In fact, one or two people actually defended Kublup campus as uh, separate to what they were talking about. But there were comments all through about the church at large being just about financial gain. All all the reason they exist is for money. That's why they're here. Other comments said that churches are no good for society. We do no good, they're saying about us. Another comment was that if God exists, so does Santa. Laugh out loud. And this continued on and there was sarcasm and ridicule and banter. And look, some of it was... light-natured. And the point is not to get oversensitive about these things or defensive, but it's an example of the shifting attitude that is being thrown our way by secular Australia. I spoke to someone in their 60s the other day during the week, and they said when he was a little boy, you know, the people out on the street, they had you know, just a a little bit of gentle respect for Christianity. They may not have believed themselves, but there was a a level of respect and reverence and, and not a willingness to blaspheme God. Then about the 80s or 90s, perhaps, there was a shift towards apathy. Secular Australia just said, oh, you know, we don't care. Do what you want to do, be what you want to be, yeah. But I think... If you begin to scratch the surface now, we're starting to see a shift towards a little bit of open hostility. It's not fully blown yet, but it is happening, church. There are signs that we're heading towards a season of suffering, even persecution, just for being followers of Christ. And so, rather than dismiss the words we're about to hear, we need to take them on board for ourselves as Mike reads to us. Thanks, Mike. A reading from the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verses 8 to 11. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, 
and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Thank you, Mike. Strong words, aren't they? Not the kind of words you come to church hoping to hear. Certainly not the prophetic word that you want to receive from the traveling prophet. You're about to suffer. You're about to die. You're about to be persecuted. No, we don't like those words. And yet they come in some ways as a massive encouragement for this poor church in Smyrna. But before we unpack what Jesus is saying, we need to look a little bit into the context that was surrounding them. You see, Smyrna was a coastal city about 60 kilometers north of Ephesus, the next in line geographically as you go along there. So it made sense that after Ephesus, the message was then next sent to Smyrna. And there's a picture there of modern-day Smyrna, now called Izmir in Turkey. And interestingly enough, it's one of the few cities that continues to exist from the ancient times of Ephesus and Smyrna. And you can see in just a glimpse there how beautiful it is. And they rivaled Ephesus for its beauty and importance. At the time the Apostle John wrote his letter, Smyrna was being called the loveliest of all the cities in Asia, albeit a self-entitled claim. But it was also an important and prosperous city because as a port that was safe, it opened up trade between the West to the Far East. And as it became wealthy, they built elegant temples to the Greek gods, to the Roman gods, and its pagan culture flourished. But Smyrna's importance was also derived from their loyalty and service to Rome and its emperors. They believed that their safety and prosperity depended upon the success of the Roman Empire. So they followed Rome to wars and erected temples to the goddess of Roma, and to the spirit of Rome. They even built temples to worship the emperor himself. And at least once a year, citizens would be required to offer a sacrifice of incense and declare, Caesar is Lord. Anybody who failed to participate in that risked punishment. What made it more difficult for our church in Smyrna was that it was home to a large Jewish population. And at that stage, the the Jewish community had a special immunity not to have to worship the emperor. They were granted immunity, but that didn't apply to Christians. So when the Jewish converts to Christianity began to rise up and come across in droves, the rest of the synagogue would treat them as heretics and outcasts and their authorities would dob them in to the emperor, to the Roman soldiers to try and have them punished. And so all these things conspired together to make Smyrna a difficult place to be a faithful Christian. Their government, their society, their culture, the religious people around them, everything was closing in on them, forcing them into the shadows and driving them into hardship. And Jesus comes to them in this situation and says it's going to go from bad to worse. But he doesn't just do that. He comes in a way that answers their needs 
And he introduces himself as the first and the last, the one who died and came to life again in verse 8. And that title, first and the last, is one given to God in the Old Testament that speaks of his eternal and divine nature. I am before creation. I am throughout creation. And I will be there when everything else has fallen apart. When the earth is long gone, I, Jesus Christ, will still be there. You need not fear. It's a tremendous promise that no matter what happens to us in this life, Jesus is our beginning, he's our middle, and he's our end. It also speaks of his unchanging nature. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's unchanging. So the Jesus that we meet at first, who pours out his love and peace and grace upon us, even when the circumstances change, even when we become poor and destitute and the world around us falls, Jesus still loves us. He still has peace towards us. He is the same as he was at the start. It doesn't matter if you're suffering. It doesn't matter if you're persecuted. That's not a commentary on you. Jesus still loves you. He's present. He is for you. And he will never be against you ever again. This is his message in his name to the Smyrnans. And you and I cannot afford to let our changing circumstances here in Australia, the difficulties we might encounter as Christians, to change the truth of who we know God is. We must cling to the knowledge that he loves us the same in that moment of pain as he did when we felt the highs and the joys and life was easy and comfortable. Jesus also says to them, I am the one who died and came to life again. And he points to his death on the cross here and his resurrection. And there's two encouragements they can take from this. The first is that Jesus has conquered the worst that life can offer. Sin, evil, pain, death. He's triumphed over it all by passing through death into eternal life. And because Jesus has risen victoriously, we can take confidence knowing that we will too. 1 Corinthians 6.14 says, By his power God raised the Lord from the dead and he will, he will raise us also. In 1 Corinthians 15 verses 54 and 57, such a beautiful passage, Paul says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Thanks be to God. Death, where is your sting? He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the greatest things we can know, church, and need to know and hold on to and meditate on daily is that Jesus Christ is alive. That was the beginning, not the end. Jesus is alive He's in us, he's for us, he's with us. He's here right now. Jesus is alive. Hallelujah, Jesus is alive. Death has lost its victory. And when we walk faithfully with him, he says, we can know that we share the same victory over sin and death. 
The second encouragement from him rising again and dying is that it's a reminder that Jesus himself has experienced the same suffering, the same persecution. He was abandoned by his friends. He was poor. He had no home, no place to rest his head. Abandoned, persecuted, tortured, killed. And so when we go through the same, he says, I'm with you. I'm able to understand what you're going through. I'm not some distant, apathetic God. I'm in your midst. I'm the Emmanuel. And I've been through it myself. And I'll be with you when you go through it too. Jesus says, I know what you're going through. I see your struggles. I know your afflictions, it says, your poverty. I know that you're being slandered by those people. And that word for no means that he sees and understands. He sees and perceives what we're going through and he's present and in it with them. You know, that word for afflictions in the Greek, flipsis, it it means pressure, rising pressure. It's a, a way they describe being crushed beneath a weight. You know, it's something that gets slowly grinded or another way it's used is to be hemmed in. So this sense that the walls are closing in around us and to the point where we're going to get smacked. And Jesus says, I know that's how you feel. I'm with you. He doesn't just say he knows, he praises them for it. He says, even though the world sees you as troublemakers, even though the world may lie about you, even though they may mock you and curse you, they might mistreat you, they might bash you, they might put you in prison, they might even kill you, but you are not what they say you are. You are rich. You are rich. And it seems as though the persecution that this church was suffering wasn't actually weakening them, but it was purifying them. It was making them strong. It was making them wealthy in the Lord. And we know that because Smyrna is only one of two churches that's not told to repent or correct anything. So they haven't entertained false doctrines. They haven't lapsed into sin, grown cold in their love towards God like the other churches Even in the midst of all this struggle and trial, they come out pure and are faithful. The word for rich there is they're fully resourced. What they they lack in an earthly sense, Jesus says, you have an abundance from God himself. You're filled with the provisions of God himself. You have every spiritual blessing from my hand to endure. You may feel broken. You may feel beaten. You may feel lost and neglected in life. You may be overlooked. You may be teased for your faith, church. But Jesus says you're rich. I have given you everything you need and you will endure I am with you, I am for you. And that means whatever happens to us in this world is not the truth in Jesus. And so out of this abundance, he urges them not to be afraid. His first counsel is literally fear nothing about what you're about to suffer. 
And he says this because fear is the enemy to faith. You know, fear will always try and take us away from the thing that is perceived to be the threat to our well-being. In a sense, it's right and rational. You know, if there's a threat coming, fear will say, avoid it, be safe, be well. The problem in this case for Smyrna is that their threat, the threat to their well-being is coming from their relationship to Jesus. And so Jesus says, do not be afraid. With a heart of compassion and love, whenever God tells his people not to be afraid, it's because he's with them and he helps sustain them through every trial. There's a passage in Isaiah 42 or 3, a beautiful one that says, do not fear, I have called you by name, child, you are mine. Though you walk through the waters, I'll be with you. Though the rivers sweep over you, you will not be swept away. Though you're thrown into the flames, you will not burn. Jesus says, do not fear, I am with you. He also says that the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. There's two aspects to this that I just want to touch on briefly. The first is that that reference to 10 days isn't necessarily literal. It's not that you're going to suffer over a period of 10 days. Most commentators agree that what he's meaning is a symbolic way of saying you're only going to suffer for a finite period of time. There will be an end, I promise you, but be faithful. The second thing we need to acknowledge that is a difficult one, that's one that the church struggles to speak about today because it's not popular and because we don't understand it with great clarity. But it's important to note that Jesus says it's the devil that will persecute you. So what he's saying is, look past the flesh and blood. Don't blame them, don't react. Paul says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities of darkness and the forces of evil, and the reality is we have an enemy in this life. Whether we like it or not, whether it's an uncomfortable thought, the devil exists, he prowls around like a lion, 1 Peter 5 says, and he wants to take you away from Jesus. He will throw everything at you to do that. And the word for the devil, diabolos, means accuser, false accuser. He comes with lies to try and affect, infect our minds and say, you're not good enough. Jesus doesn't love you. You're not accepted. Look at the suffering you're facing. That means God's not with you. That means God's not for you. And Jesus says, rubbish. He's coming to take you away from me. His very name is sever relationship. That's what accuser is designed to do, to stand up in the court of law and say, God, you can't have that one. He's guilty. But Jesus Christ has paid every price for you and me. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is nothing to fear from the devil. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world, the Bible says. And we need to know that and remind ourselves when the persecution comes, when our thoughts torment us, when we become afraid of what we face in our lives. Jesus says, it's the enemy. It's not true. It's not me and it's not you. You are who I say you are. 
the song says, if we're in Christ, there is no condemnation. And we need to remember that and rebuke the enemy when he tries to take us away from it. The other instruction he gives is to be faithful. And that word faithful really just means to continue to be full of trust in Jesus. So when the very things that make you want to leave Jesus, want to retreat into safety and fit in with the rest of society so that you miss everything that they're throwing at you, Jesus says, don't do that. Please, you can hear his heart begging us, be faithful, don't do it. Don't break relationship with me. I know it's hard. I know it's torture. I know it's pain. And it may only get worse. But hang in there with me. Abide in me. Put your roots down in me. For Smyrna, this meant not going back to worshipping the emperor. It meant not going back to the idols that the rest of the people around them were serving. It meant not participating in the same pagan lifestyle as everyone else so that they could fit in and avoid detection. And for us, it really means a similar thing. It means that when you're in the workplace or school or uni and people are putting down Jesus or the church, you don't hide, you don't have to stick your neck out, but you don't deny Jesus. You don't say, oh yeah, nah, he's not for me. It means that we don't worship the idols of our culture, We don't love violence. We don't love inappropriate sex. I was going to say sex itself, but sex itself is fine. Inappropriate sex, lust. We don't satisfy the cravings of our culture. Being faithful to Jesus today means doing what we know is right, no matter what the cost. It means not doing what we know is wrong, just because everyone else is doing it and our culture has said, oh, that's okay now. We don't mind that. If we can be faithful, Jesus says, shifting our eyes from what's around us, shifting our eyes from ourselves and what we're going through, Jesus says, no, look up, look to eternity. If you remain faithful, I will reward you with life as a victor's crown. In ancient times, The victorious athletes in the Olympic Games would be uh, stood up on the podium, the whole crowd around. They'd have this special wreath put around their head and they'd be celebrated. They'd be praised as the victorious ones. And Jesus drawing on this familiar idea to the Smyrnans says, if you are faithful, I will crown you with eternal life and all of heaven and God the Father himself will celebrate with you. Well done, my good and faithful servant. He also says that if you overcome and be faithful, you will avoid the pain of the second death. We know that no one can escape death in this life. Sin still has that in play. But Jesus promises that those who are faithful to him will escape a spiritual death, an eternity of misery, and remain in the presence of God forever. And you know, we don't like to talk black and white about these things anymore because it makes us uncomfortable. 
It makes us question what happens to loved ones. Our culture itself is uncomfortable with this idea. But the Bible teaches clearly that each one of us have a road to take. One takes us to God. One takes us away from him. One takes us to eternal joy and bliss. The other does not. We cannot be confused about that. We cannot try to play that down. Jesus says, be with me, stick with me, remain faithful to me and you will be safe and rejoice with me in eternity. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying. Church, the world is changing, whether we like it or not. You may not have suffered yourself yet personally, You may not have been persecuted for your faith to this point, but if you're going to be faithful to Jesus, then it may be coming. Let me say it that way. We need to be prepared for anything, but we need not be afraid because Jesus Christ is alive. He's alive, he is risen, and he is the first fruits. He is our proof he is what we need to end there ourselves he will supply all our needs according to his riches in glory we hope you enjoyed this message from mount pleasant baptist church if you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today then you can contact the team at mount pleasant baptist church by calling the office during office hours on 93291777 Thanks for joining us we look forward to your company again soon God bless